Will you join me in prayer? Our gracious Heavenly Father and loving Good Shepherd, we pray that this morning, as we look at your word, you will enlighten our minds that we may understand the truth within your word that you will open our hearts so that we may be able to truly receive your word. And Lord, we pray that you will conform our wills to your will so that we might follow your word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. We're at the end of the series um, of Psalm 23. And the last phrase in Psalm 23 is surely goodness and mercy or loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the way the psalmist concludes everything he has said so far. And really, it's a, an apt summary of what he said, isn't it? No matter where I go, through the valley of the shadow of death, or anywhere else, you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And thus, I can say with confidence, surely goodness and loving kindness follow me, pursue me all the days of my life. And in the end, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a wonderful image. A couple of months ago, I uh, picked up my son and daughter-in-law at the Indianapolis airport after they had been away for one full year in England. My son doing graduate studies there, and um, I was looking forward to seeing them, obviously, and picking them up, and, and we talked all the way home about various things and adapting to the United States after being in England for a year, and uh, we got home and pushed the garage door opener and drove in, flipped open the back of the hatch on my SUV, grabbed a couple of suitcases and started towards the door. And my son was ahead of me. He'd already opened the door. He walked in, stepped across the threshold of the door and said, ah, the smell of this house. Now, now my son has been away from home for more than a decade. It started a long time ago, and as I recall, about 2006 when he left home. He's been in one dormitory after another. He's married, and he's made a place with his wife in two different places, Los Angeles and then in England. But something happened when he walked through the threshold of our house. Something about the ambiance of the whole place flooded over his senses, and in effect, even though it wasn't still his home in the same way, he was saying, I'm just so good, glad to be home. 
When we think of the phrase that our psalm today ends with, we remember the notion of home or house, don't we? So let's ask some questions concerning what must be communicated by the psalmist when he says, your goodness and mercy and loving kindness, they're going to travel with me and pursue me all the days of my life. And in the end, I'm going to dwell in your house forever. What is the house of the Lord? What is home? It seems that among other things, the house of the Lord is a place of refuge. It's always been thought of that way, especially in the Christian tradition and in the Jewish tradition, which is why we use the word sanctuary, a place of refuge. The house of the Lord is a place where people go for refuge. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, uh, when Moses was setting up the laws for the people of Israel, uh, he set up laws that allowed for a person who was fleeing from a false accusation concerning perhaps some sort of incident like murder, that they could go to a particular city and be there in the presence of the priest. Or in other places, they could actually go to the house of the Lord. And though it's a bit ambiguous as to exactly how that happened and where in the house of the Lord they went, we sometimes see the altar of God associated with the one who flees for refuge. As a matter of fact, in Psalm 36, several psalms surrounding 23 have similar themes, but Psalm 36, 7 says, Both high and low men find refuge in the shadow of your wings. For those of us who don't think about angels and wings every day, it may not strike us quite immediately what this was all about, but it's likely that when the psalmist in that passage, Psalm 36, spoke of the refuge of God's wings, he was probably speaking of those wings, symbolically, that were over the mercy seat and the altar of God in the temple. Wings of the cherubim, and underneath which was mercy and grace and peace. So the house of the Lord in David's mind has got to be a place of absolute refuge. Refuge from the harsh realities of life. But very similarly, the house of the Lord is also a place of comfort. Without using a particular scripture to prove this, I don't need one to prove it because you know it to be true. Let me use the image that we understand the best. What's it like to come home? After a long day. What's it like to come home after a long trip? My wife and I have taken some wonderful trips in the past. We've seen different parts of this world. And we've been delighted by the various cultures. And I, because of the graciousness of this church and missions committee, have an opportunity annually to visit missionaries in another part of the world. And I take great delight in doing so. I like seeing the world. But when it's done, I come home. There's nothing like the comfort of home. My house is not the greatest house in the world. It's not the greatest house in Bloomington. 
My bed is probably not the most expensive bed that you might sleep on. Everything about my house and my home are of great comfort to me. When I return from a trip and I've been eating all kinds of foods in various places, I don't walk through the front door and say to my wife, so where are we going to eat tonight? You know why? Because I want to eat there. I want to eat her food. I want to eat our food. I want to be in the comfort of home. It's in the comfort of home that people know one another well. It's in the comfort of home that we relax, that we can truly be ourselves. So the psalmist says, your goodness and loving kindness will pursue me every day of my life, and then I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord, which is my home forever. Home is not just a place of refuge and comfort. The house of the Lord, and I'm using the image of home, it's a place of perspective as well. What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is us right here. Right here today. It might not be a tremendous epiphany that you experience every single Sunday when you come to church. But repeatedly, don't you know it's true that when you enter this house of worship, you enter a place where your perspective on life changes. Or, shall I say, is reoriented around the things that are important. The things of deepest meaning. You're reminded of what you believe. You're reminded of what you know. But the reminder comes in the context of Christian community. I know it comes to you other times. But this is a special place where that reminder comes to us. I read a commentator this week. Uh, who helped me understand it well. He said, and, and I, I wish I had written the words myself because this comes from him, but it comes from my heart. When I stand in the fellowship of believers to acknowledge that all aspects of my life are under the care and sovereignty of God, then I'm reminded that God is here among us in spite of and even in our joys and pains, suffering and death, marriage and divorce, sickness and health. Worship, he says, for me, is not actually escape from the threatening pressures of the world by fleeing into the protective arms of my Savior, wonderful as that is. Instead, for me, he says, worship is a moment in which I gain perspective that God is indeed with me in the midst of my daily hassles and failures. The psalmist on one occasion expresses it this way. He says, I was weary with life. I was sort of pushed down by circumstances. 
and I was trying my best to do the right thing all the time. I was slugging through it. I said, this is what I ought to do. This is how I should walk. I will continue. But in the midst of that faithfulness, I was overwhelmed by this reality. When I looked around me, it seemed like all the wicked, those who had no time for God, those whose lives really reflected everything that I supposedly held dear, those people seemed to be fat and happy. Those people seemed to be marching on to the beat of a great drummer. Those were actually his words. That's the sentiment. They had their own reality in front of them and everything was working for them. And then, then he says, it all became very wearisome. I tried to figure it out, and I just got exhausted until I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I summarize. He says, I got a new perspective. I got in touch, in effect, with eternity I stepped outside of circumstances and allowed the eternal sovereign God to define my reality. The house of the Lord is that place of perspective. And we all need it, my friends. One of my favorite authors is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Sometimes I worry about repeating my favorite authors, but you have short memories, so. <laughs> Let me read you some words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who understood the importance of Christian community. He said, God has put this word into the mouth of men. That is his word into the mouth of men in order that it may be communicated to other men. That's what the word is for. The Christian needs another Christian who speaks God's word to him. He needs it again and again when this Christian becomes uncertain and discouraged. For by himself, he cannot help himself without contradicting the word or the truth itself. Can, can I um, do a commentary on what Dietrich Bonhoeffer is saying there? No matter what the truth is concerning God's word, no matter what you know to be true, in the middle of your spinning, churning thoughts, your introspective analysis of yourself and life itself, inside that churning, spinning process of thought, there's going to be a way in which you're going to belie, contradict the truth that even you believe. Because the worst thing we can be is people who think in a circle inside our own thoughts. 
Because even with those truths, we can get, become uncertain and discouraged and contradict even what we know. Bonhoeffer goes on by saying this, the Christ in his own heart, that's the person I'm talking about, you and me by ourselves, the Christ in his own heart is weaker than the Christ in the word of his brother. His own heart, you and me on our own, his own heart is uncertain. His brother's heart is sure. When we gather together in the house of the Lord, when we gather together as a community of faith, we allow other people to speak truth into our life. We remind ourselves through reading the scripture together and reading creeds together and praying together and singing the praises of God together. We remind ourselves of the truth that's outside the circle of our own consciousness. And in the midst of that, God speaks into our lives through the other. That's why the apostle on one occasion seemed to get so passionate. And he said, whatever you do, don't abandon being together. Whatever you do, stay together. So the house of the Lord is certainly a place of refuge and a place of comfort and a place of perspective. But it's also a place of, well, just presence. Because in the house of the Lord, and not just this sanctuary, but in the house of the Lord is the presence of the Lord. We don't think of it this way. But had you been a person in the days of Israel when they were wandering across the desert, you would realize that the center of your existence was the tabernacle of God. There are model pictures of what it must have looked like, this tabernacle of God planted right in the middle of the desert with tents surrounding it. At the center of the reality of their life is the temple later the temple, then the tabernacle. And sometimes in artist's renditions, they remind us of what was evident at the temple or the tabernacle. The tabernacle moved. And standing over the tabernacle as they went through the desert was at night a pillar of fire indicating the real presence of God and a cloud over the tabernacle by day. And when the fire or the cloud moved, the people moved. Why? Because they wanted to be in the presence of God. So the house of God, the one that the psalmist longs for, is the one that's in the continual presence of God. The place, as the psalmist says in Psalm 26, the place where your glory dwells. Or to put it in the words of another Psalm 1611, in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. 
The house of the Lord is comfort and perspective and presence. And finally, the house of the Lord is rest. Pure and simple. There's nothing more delightful, is there, than after a long day of work to come home? Well, there isn't for me. I I love coming home. Of course, I have the good fortune of a home that's full of peace and love, and I know not everyone's home is. I had it since I was a child, and I have had it ever since I've been married, and I can't wait to go home. I recall uh, on one occasion my daughter was home, and there were a number of us in the house. I don't remember how many. But she lay down on the couch because she was tired and wanted to take a nap. There was all kinds of noise in the background. Brenda was busy in the kitchen. I was helping out. David was talking. And whoever else was there was chattering along. So I walked into her trying to be, you know, the compassionate father. And I said, um, well, let me tell you probably what I said. I probably said, hey, Pooh. Because when she came home from the hospital, I called her my little Pooh Bear. And uh, that's what she's always been. I probably said to her, hey, Pooh, you want to go upstairs and take a nap where there isn't so much noise? And she just opened her eyes and she said, no, Dad. I love the sound. I can sleep right here. What did it mean? I'm home. Yeah, it's noisy, but it's my noise. Yeah, people are talking, but they're my people. This is home. Isaiah puts it in an interesting way when he speaks of a place of rest. He's not talking about the tabernacle or the temple or a house, But he communicates the notion of rest that is embedded in the idea of home and tabernacle and temple. And he says this, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed or steadfastly on you. Why? Because he trusts in you. So the perfect peace is not inside these four walls. Honestly, there's a lot of days I walk inside these four walls and I don't find perfect peace. I'm thinking about things. Right? And that's not always peaceful. So let's take it outside the notion of the walls themselves. As beautiful as this place is, this sanctuary of God. Isaiah says, you will find perfect peace when your mind or your heart or your reality or your focus is steadfastly on me. So in the midst of all the chaos and all the struggle and all the difficulty, you can actually find rest and peace when your mind is stayed steadfastly on me. I happen to know that in the second service, um, the children are going to encounter the story of Elijah. And in that story of Elijah, the storyteller is going to speak 
about how Elijah went through his dramatic moment of self-pity. You know the one I'm talking about? Where he's with God in the presence of God and he's calling down fire from heaven and God defeats the, the enemies, namely the prophets of Baal. But when it's all over, Elijah eventually goes back to the top of a mountain and has a worship session. No, you know the story doesn't go there. He goes into the valley and he starts crying. And he says, woe is me. I'm the only one who was standing out there today. Woe is me. Nobody's following God but me. Woe is me. I... I don't want to assume that I know everything about what was going on for Elijah, but I'm pretty sure at least this was happening. On the top of the mountain, when he was crying out to God, and he saw fire burn up the sacrifice and lick up the water. In that moment, he felt the presence of God and he was resting in it because he knew God was there. But when he walked away and he was exhausted by life and Jezebel started threatening his life and saying she would hunt him down like a dog, his perspective changed. His mind was no longer steadfastly on God. His mind was on himself, and he lost perspective. I will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is steadfastly on me. In the midst of any kind of circumstances. By the way, it's not a magic wand, right? It's not like you can quote the verse and everything will be fine. Isaiah knew that. He had his days too. But he also knew that in the midst of the struggle, when he focused steadfastly on God, he had perfect peace. So here's three questions for all of us. The first question, you who are Christ followers, who have counted Jesus as your Lord and do everything you can to follow him. Is your mind steadfastly trusting in him? I ask that because I know how easy it is not to be that way. The older I get, actually the more self-sufficient I become. I've raised my kids. I'm not in financial need. I have a wonderful community of faith all around me. I have a loving wife who gives me more than I need. I've got all the blessings I can imagine. And in the midst of all that, because everything is going so well, and because I fool myself into thinking that somehow I've created that reality for myself in the midst of all that. All those blessings. 
Sometimes I'm not steadfastly trusting my Lord. How in the world is that possible? But it is. So let me answer the question for a lot of you. When I ask you this, Christ follower, is your mind steadfastly trusting in Him? Let me answer the question for you, no. You know it's not. Right? Not always. But that's the call. That's the call of Psalm 23. The entire thing is to let your mind steadfastly and your heart trust in Him. Second question. For those of you who don't count yourself to be Christ followers or who are just still trying to figure this thing out, ask yourself this question. Is your soul at rest the way you are? Do you have peace? I love the famous quote of Augustine. Oh Lord, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. If you're a person who's not committed your life to Jesus Christ, if you're not following God, if you're, if you're just trying to figure this thing out, oh my. There's a way to enter rest. There's a way to enter peace. I promise you there is. And all you have to do is surrender to the Lord who wants to give you peace. And if that's not true of you today, I hope it will be true of you before you leave. After every worship service, we're here to pray for whatever the need. And I would love to be able to lead you into a relationship with Jesus Christ. It'll be the greatest peace you'll ever find. The third question is this. Do you need to stop right now and refocus and think about where you've been? Think about last week and the week before and the month before. Do you need to stop and refocus and renew your commitment to following Jesus Christ? You know, you can never do that too many times. Are you married? You ought to get that one. It's not enough to say, I told you I loved you once. Mm -hmm. We renew our commitment and our love for one another over and over and over again. Is it time for you? Is it time for you to say your vows again to your risen Lord? If it is, do that as we pray. Our gracious and loving God, you are our great shepherd. You provide all our needs according to your riches and glory. You give us life, even the air that we breathe. You give us love and the ability to love. 
You give us hope and joy in the midst of pain and sorrow. And you give us eternal life. And Lord, it's, it's actually possible for us to hear those words and to, well, believe them. But not allow them to penetrate our core, our reality, our hearts by faith. So Lord, for those who hear the words and they're seeking, and the words right now make sense and they have quite often, we pray that you will give them the faith to say, Lord Jesus, please take my life. I'm unworthy of your grace. I'm a sinner, but I need you. And Lord, for those who are here this morning who have made that commitment to you like they once made vows in their marriage, we pray that all of us who are in that category Well, just for a moment, recommit ourselves to following you. Recommit ourselves to having our minds steadfastly on you. We know that won't make us perfect, Lord. We know that there will still be trouble ahead. But we know if we remember, if we remember that commitment once again, It'll be an anchor point for our life. And we'll recognize that your goodness and your loving kindness are pursuing us every day of our life. And we'll rejoice that eventually we'll live in the house of the Lord forever. Thank you. Amen.